As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Oh, Miles here. Your outpost for the week is freshly delivered, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me as she is every single week, the incredibly talented and just wonderfully funny Drea Kaufman, who had me in stitches right before we started <laughs> recording. <laughs> well, because so, I almost clicked the wrong button and just like ended everything <laughs> instead of the one that's like, go! So that's just a good summary of where my mind is right now, y'all. This is why they don't give you the nuclear launch code button, because, you know, you might actually <laughs> <laughs> just end it all. It's have to be very clearly labeled for me. And even then, if it's the same color, y'all were screwed. It looked like the easy button. <laughs> well, like both the end meeting button and the record button are red. Like, yeah, I just looked for the red thing. Well, we are excited to be here to talk about Chapter 12, Professor Umbridge. But before we get into the chapter this week, don't forget, uh, check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed. Uh, also, um, give us a star rating review over there in iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Help people find the show. Uh, star rating reviews make a, a big difference in who finds the show when we, you know, people search for Harry Potter podcasts, so that really helps. Uh, you can also um, find everything that we do uh, social media-wise over on Twitter at JoinNerdParty. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash thenerdparty. And the website, thenerdparty.com, where you can find out everything that we're doing nerdparty-wise. We have so many different podcasts that you should be checking out, so do that. And while you're there... Maybe you'd like to send us an email. So uh, Drea and I will get that if you go to thenerdparty.com slash contact, choose a show, choose Owl Post, and then we'll be able to converse with you that way. So so what I'm hearing is you really have no excuse not to tell us what you think. Exactly. Did I understand exactly. that correctly? That's pretty much <laughs> it. Yep. Yeah, we can. We and, and one of the things that we love is to talk to you. I mean, we've gotten some great tweets from people uh, talking about our episodes. You know, we've had great conversations on Facebook. Uh, we've had some good emails. And so, again, we love hearing from you what we, you think. And so, yeah, please do reach out to us because it makes it a lot of fun to get to interact with the people who listen. It's totally true. Not so fun for Harry, though, uh, at the Ooh, beginning yeah. of this chapter. 
So this chapter is not my favorite chapter either. It's important, but it's not. It's definitely not one of my favorites. I agree with you. It is a. It is kind of a hard chapter, especially when you get to the very end of it, where we actually are in Umbridge's classroom. But we'll leave yeah. that a little bit later. We'll get there. Get. We'll get there. Yeah. Just hold your horses. Gosh. Oh. <laughs> one of the things that I think is interesting is how you know Harry waking up in the morning and Seamus is like top speed. He's out of there, and you know. Everybody else is like, don't worry about it, Harry. It'll be fine, you know. I do love the description, though. Like, he's out there and they only caught the, like, wisp of his robe out yeah. the door. Like, <laughs> I, I like the way she put that because it, it does really show you the, like, sense of urgency he had in getting out. It's interesting because Harry's having this kind of monologue inside where he's like, I, I just don't know how much more of this I can take. You know, like, we keep putting the pressure on Harry in many ways I almost feel like Harry's in a pressure cooker this oh, this yeah. this book you know and yeah. the, and the pressure like just, right about now yes which is why he keeps kind of exploding at people because or, or for, or for the, our British or non-American fans he's in like a kettle yes there you go yeah mm-hmm. yeah it kind of reminds me so every morning I make uh, coffee in a Chemex which is kind of like a pour over um, yeah. and, uh, I, I love it, but you know, every morning I use the tea kettle to warm up water and I, I really do feel as though, you know, Harry is that, which every, every time he gets too hot, you know, he just kind of has to spew out all of the steam and let mm-hmm. go and then he can kind of reset and then something else happens and the pressure builds and it all comes out again. And I feel really bad for him because he's in this place where, and, and this whole book is really going to be about more and more pressure building on Harry, and it's not going to end anytime soon. And so, uh, luckily, though, I mean, he's not the only one who's got pressure because Hermione's trying to pressure Ron to talk to the twins about their little project that they've got going on there in the Gryffindor common room. Before we even see that sign, um, when they go downstairs, Harry mentions the fact that, you know, he sort of had this run in with Seamus and and uh, Hermione says something to the effect of like, you know, Lavender said the same thing. Um, and he just jumps down her throat, kind of like he was doing when he first got to the Order of the Phoenix headquarters. Um, and Hermione finally sort of steps up and she's like, and I would really appreciate it if you stopped doing that because we're on your side and you have to just like give us a break. Um, and he was kind of taken aback by how bluntly she put the fact that he's jumping down her throat and he, he takes a moment and he's like, yep, I'm sorry. And she's like, that's all right, we'll move on. Like it wasn't like she was making a big deal out of it. Um, and I always love this moment every time I read this book and every time I watch this movie because it's so often women get sort of portrayed as like overly emotional and like super, you know, like into that, like just fixated on that. And this is the moment where she is very just to the point. She just says exactly what she's thinking and feeling. And Harry's the emotional one. And it's kind of a turn on like what you'd think of in gender roles where she should be really hurt by it. And really, she's just being very matter of fact, like I've had enough. Please just stop. We're good to go. Um, and, and I always really appreciated that little moment because you don't always get it and you don't always get it from female characters specifically. Um, and I thought that it's just a great little way of of turning those stereotypes on their head a little bit um, without making it into like a big thing. 
what I love about that too is that you know we've seen the emotional toll that it has been taking on her and Ron. You know, and it's not just her, right? She's saying, yeah. "Can you please stop jumping down our throats?" Like Ron yeah. and I are on your side. You know, get a grip, bro. Um, if you want to yell, yell at somebody else. Um, and I, I think that almost that's, verbatim. That's the modern yeah. interpretation. Yeah, pretty much. Get a much. grip, bro. <laughs> yeah, simmer down, bro. What I, what I really love though is that that she ties this into the conversation that we had last week about the way that this is exactly what Voldemort wants. He wants mm-hmm. people fighting. He wants this infighting. He wants this discord. He wants this enmity. And that this is exactly what Dumbledore had been talking about and what the Sorting Hat was saying is that if we're not united, we're going to, you know, be screwed. And Ron and Harry are just like, yeah, we're, you know, if that means we're going to get, you know, all chummy with the Slytherins, that ain't ever going to happen. And Hermione's like, look, we either do this or we're going to be in real trouble. And I think there's, I just love the fact that this book thematically, she can, she's really building that into things here. And the fact that within the first few chapters here of us being back at Hogwarts we're already seeing exactly that and it's it's a little bit scary to see that how easy it is to disrupt that and and the just the moment that they have between you know Ron and Hermione have here where don't you remember Dumbledore said last year and you know what the sorting hat told us this year and he's like how do you remember these things and she's she's just like he's like kind of in awe of her and she's like I pay attention and just like moves on and totally doesn't see it at all and it's just like a, a little moment where you're just seeing the admiration he has for her and how important her role is in the tw- the trinity and and you know she remembers these things and everyone else is like I don't know how you do it and she's just like it's not a big deal but you know honestly that is a talent she has and it is something that some people just have a really great memory and others have a terrible memory um, and it just shows that you know she remembers kind of for everyone. Um, well, it, I mean, the biggest part is is that. Hermione just listens to things, you know, like she that takes, <laughs> she she really takes in what she hears because she's actively listening because mm-hmm. she's one of those people who just loves learning. Whereas, you know, Ron and Harry are very guilty of being kids who still in that kid mode of like, this is boring. I don't want to learn this. You know, um, they even talk about that with Professor Ben's class later about how boring it is and like how they can't pay attention in it. And Hermione's like, you could if you wanted to. And like, no, not really. Uh, you know, and so Hermione does have this basic, almost this superpower. And it's not really a superpower. It's just the fact that she cares to learn whatever yeah. it is. So, uh, you know, these the boys don't have that at the moment with some things. And so, yeah, Hermione is very important to this trinity. Yeah, and then and then we get her natural Hermione-ness peeking out and her wanting to chastise the twins um, for posting in the common room for um, testers for their um, little treats or their joke shop that they are working on. Well, and I just kind of love that because Ron wants no part of that. And, you know, Hermione's like, it's our job. We're prefects. This is what we're, su- we're supposed to stop this kind of thing. <laughs> I, I just love how this whole chapter, Ron's pretty much doing all he can to get out of that, which is <laughs> classic Ron. <laughs> it is really funny. And, 
And I do love that Hermione was like, it's just matter of fact that this is what we do. And he's like, oh, but he doesn't say no. And he doesn't <laughs> say anything against it. And that later on in the chapter, when she kind of calls them on it, he's just like, I have no part in this. I am not yeah. here. I am not saying <laughs> I am not involved, you know? And I think part of that's because it's his brothers and he, you know, there's a part of him that probably doesn't want to risk upsetting them the way that he's sort of already lost contact with Percy and things like that. We, we hear a little bit more about how the twins feel about that as well. Um, but I, I do love that there's a part of him that just wants to avoid the responsibility. And then there's really a part of me that does think he is trying, you know, he's trying to preserve something that you know, he's a little afraid to lose. He never thought he would lose part of his family, and he did. So I think there's a part of him that's just being cautious about that. Um, and then there's a the part of him that, like, why were you obeyed a prefect? You were never going to challenge something that you like, even if it's against school rules. So it'll be interesting to see how he sort of handles that. The other thing that I think is really fascinating is a little bit later in the chapter and just kind of connected with this storyline is the fact that they you know they have a talk with the twins and the twins are talking about cuz they're they're discussing the owls the ordinary wizarding level tests that they have to take this term and the fact that you know they they're not even sure if they're going to be back for their 7th year because they think they might open a joke shop which brings back up the subject of where they're getting this money and harry it's just like, I can't change the topic fast enough because puts him in a really awkward position. But out of that, we learned two really interesting things. One, school is going to suck this year um, for yeah. these kids in this fifth year. And uh, two, you know, the, the twins have more money than people realize they have. Well, and I actually really like this this mechanism she has of like testing, right? This sort of standardized wizarding testing. It makes it really relatable. And I really love that the names that she gives her assessments, the owls and the um, twins were talking about the next year's tests of the newts. Um, I think it's just so clever and really it's just cute. And it makes the, the situation all that more relatable for anybody who has had to endure standardized testing of any sort, um, how difficult and strenuous and just ridiculous it can be. Well, and, and I I really liked that, too. I think you bring up something that's really interesting because, you know, the owls here are also linked to where the kids will go next uh, in terms of what they'll do in the last two years, but also what they will do possibly job-wise, which is really fascinating. You know, we we are really, you know, what I think is is, is neat here about Hogwarts is that Hogwarts is, and and it, it seems like the wizarding education here is very much set up to be not just this theoretical place, right? It's a very practical place where we are preparing students for what comes next, which will come into play when we get to the very end of the chapter and what Dolores Umbridge is talking about. So there's this real sense here, though, that what they do this year really affects the rest of their future. And I think- I would I would also be really interested along those lines of anyone who has um, attended primary or grade school in like Great Britain or France or something, if sort of career aptitude or, or long-term career planning is a part of the sort of like education system, is this something she's pulling from the real world and is commonplace there or, cause it's, 
I think that there's a thought that it should be a commonplace here in the United States, but it's definitely not a focus and it's definitely overlooked and there's no sort of like planning done in that. You're sort of left to your own devices. Um, so I'm just curious if, if that happens over there, especially in like a boarding school or something like that. Do they sort of help you determine career path or, or assess how, you know, what, what classes you should take based on, you know, aptitude in previous classes or what. So um, if anyone out there has that experience, I would actually be really, really interested to hear about that. So just a side note. No, I totally agree. I think that would be really cool, especially since there's a short conversation that does happen with Ron and Harry in this chapter about what they might want to do after school. Mm -hmm. And Ron thinks it would be kind of cool and he would like to be an or and Harry's like, yeah, that would be cool, which, you know, kind of brings back the whole idea of what Moody brought up last year or the not Moody brought up to Harry. Not Moody, up, Moody. Yeah. <laughs> not Moody, Moody. And and I, I thought that that was a really nice tie again to the last book. So, you know, this this whole thing, that this chapter has a lot of nice flow to it in the sense that a lot of different parts of the chapter play together. And, you know, kind of going a little bit backwards, but, you know, as they're having breakfast, Hermione has the daily profit delivered and the guys are like why are you reading that and she's like you know it's it's best to know what our enemy is saying and the best way to do that is to read what they're saying in the newspaper and i just thought that you know hermione again really shows how smart she is um because it is the best way that to know the enemy which is or just the best way to know anybody read what they think you know, or listen to what they think. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that, again, we were kind of talking about earlier. This is Hermione's kind of superpower, her ability to do this. Yeah, I think Hermione is, I think if you look at all of three of them, for me, Hermione is the most dangerous one. She seems to be most aware of how to fight, be it socially or, you know, that sort of thing. She is aware of what you need to do to be successful in this sort of like it's just it's a, it's a little scary how young she is and how comfortable she is with sort of warfare tactics and enemies and things like that she she is she's the dangerous one in my mind and, and maybe not just because i want her to be like the super dangerous nikita but um you know, I do I do think that there's something to be said about the threat that she poses that I think she's always kind of underestimated because she's this studious girl. But really, she is someone that, you know, followers of Voldemort should probably be looking out for more than they are. Well, and I think it's one of the places where in this book specifically, I think Bowling is really cementing what the roles of the Trinity are, you know, and, and where, like, we're talking about this, their kind of superpowers are that are going, to, once they unite, you know, it's the, the Trinity, you know, powers unite, and, you know, that they would be <laughs> able to do what they will do in the next few books. And so I, I think really comes to, to light here with, with Hermione specifically, but, you know, we're going to see that with Ron some as he grows in this chapter and mm -hmm. uh, and in this this book. Um, and we're going to, you know, we're going to see Harry do that, as we were talking about earlier, that, that pressure cooker is going to kind of, in many ways, melt him down um, like gold. 
and they're going to take off all the dross and the, and he will be more purified by the time you get to the end here, you know. Um, just in case anyone was ever wondering the correct terms for making gold, Matt just told you. That. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it, it, in many ways, too, I mean, you know, I've read a few books and, and one of the things that Rowling is very keen on in her books is the alchemical process and that much of her writing and all of her writing follows that process. And this book specifically is that process where. Harry is going to be melted down and refined. And that's why this book is so difficult for him because he is being heated up to allow a lot of those impurities and a lot of those frustrations. And and really what it is, it's a lot of those lingering underlying psychological issues to finally surface from all that's happened to him so that he mm-hmm. can deal with them and be able to move forward. Because if you don't, if he doesn't, there will be no way that Harry would be able to legitimately, psychologically deal with what is going to come next, or, or even just to believe what he is going through and what he, how he goes through it. If we don't have to, if we don't get to see, and we're not subjected to the awkward and uncomfortable process, we don't buy it. And I know you and I were talking about that the last time we recorded sort of off air because we didn't want to to do any spoilers and we definitely talked a few spoilers. But um, I definitely think that if he doesn't isn't subjected to some of the awkwardness that this chapter itself and and subsequent chapters going forward have, then no one's going to buy no one's going to care why he's the hero or buy that he's the hero. It makes it not as believable, but to add that element of realism to it and to make it so that you believe he's a person and, and you want him to be successful, you have to sort of throw him in the frying pan and cook him up and hope that he comes out you know, tastier on the other end. So I'm hungry if you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> feel bad for harry because you know he keeps having these awkward moments with cho and this one is not awkward on his part but it's made awkward by ron because she's wearing a specific uh quidditch Quidditch badge quidditch Mm -hmm. team's badge and uh, ron just starts getting all over her case about why she supports them has she been supporting them only since they started winning which is definitely a sports conversation you know like look i live in the northwest where um you know the the seattle seahawks you know have been a good team you know for like the last six years but before that sucked right so i'm pretty sure that most of the people that live here at least half of them are bandwagoners right so yeah you take that with a grain of salt when somebody's like a huge fan um, so I get what Ron's doing here, but I just love Hermione, like, you have no tact. What is wrong with you? <laughs> She's so aware, and Ron is so oblivious, and I feel like that makes it worse for Harry <laughs> and not better, <laughs> but it is. It's so funny. I do love that the thought process he goes through afterwards, though. It's so logical, and it's. I, I, I am surprised. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You can think kind of this clearly even with everything going on but you know he rationalizes through this like she could be mad at me she could easily be someone uh, with those who are kind of against me and and don't believe me i mean i I came out of the forest and her boyfriend didn't and but she's come to me now twice in two days and and didn't seem to be upset so you know that must mean something and i love this rationalization he goes through and the fact that it just makes him feel just a little bit better um in the long run of that you know that's kind of like the highlight of his day. And I think anybody who sort of felt that in high school or even older can totally relate to how that would be the highlight of your day. I really, I I love that. I I just love that he's like, you know, she could really hate me because she could think I'm responsible for Cedric's death, but apparently she doesn't hate me and she's talked to me twice. So yeah, I, I just, like you said, it's so funny that, and and I think this is actually Harry's superpower. Harry does, strangely, have the ability to be utterly rational and thoughtful about things and really think things through in a way that most kids his age don't. Which, or even some adults yeah. like, could not, uh, could not no. follow or understand <laughs> no. or conceptualize things that way themselves. Yeah, no, it, and it's great. I really, I really loved that whole little scene, and I loved Harry's kind of response to it, which made it all the better. We do at this point in the chapter, we start going through the different classes. They have potions first, which turns out to be awful because Snape is awful to Harry again. Um, which Hermione's like, that was just so unfair, and I love Harry's like, uh, yeah. When has Snape ever been fair to me? <laughs> I do like that the sort of like he's upset about it, but he's kind of like, eh, I didn't expect anything else. So whatever. Well, and and then it starts this moment where Ron and Hermione just start bickering back and forth. And Harry is just like, guys, shut up. I can't even hear myself think. And he just like kind of blows up at them again and leaves them. And I love the moment where... But it's different, right? It's yeah. different this time. He doesn't just snap at them for something that they're not doing. He's legitimately just frustrated. And the fact that they're arguing doesn't help him be less frustrated. Yes. So he sort of snaps at them and is like, I really wish you guys would just stop arguing because I cannot take it anymore. Um, and he has this kind of brutally honest moment with them where he just tells them, like, you guys have to stop fighting. And I am I am out. And he kind of storms off, like, similar to how Hermione told him this morning, you have to stop snapping at us. Um, and it's nice just to know that they have the kind of relationship where they can just be super bluntly honest with each other and nobody takes it personally. When they get to their divination class, you know, Ron and Harry are still taking that. Hermione is not. And he's like, uh, Hermione and I have stopped arguing, but she thinks it would be nice if you start taking your temper out on us. And he's like, Harry starts like, and he's like, hey, just a message. But I, I reckon she's right because it's not our fault how people treat you. And then, he tries to say something again, and then Trelawney breaks in. But I, again, I think, you know, it's a moment where as difficult it is for Harry to deal with these emotions, 
his friends calling him out. And I think rightly so in the sense of we don't deserve to be treated this way. And would you please stop treating us this way? Like they're not angry at Harry. They understand what's going on with him. They understand the frustration he's having. Right. They're very understanding, but they're also not willing to take less than they deserve from their friend. And I think that's that, it's such a great lesson. Like you, you should not ha- let people treat you badly just because they're having a hard time. It's not excusable. Right. Their, their actions are not justified by what they're going through. Like he, you know, just because he's having a tough day, they empathize with that, but that doesn't give him the right to treat him, them that way. Um, and it's a learning lesson kind of for all of them. But it is. It's a, it's a powerful lesson on, on he- healthy relationships that we don't often get to see. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I do feel bad. I do love divination class every time. (laughs) I was just about to say that. I do love divination and how just totally not serious they take this class. Every time we see it, we saw it last book when they started talking about tea leaves and they always made jokes about it. And um, this time they, they have this assignment to analyze each other's dreams. And Harry's dreams are very vivid um, and very specific and a little unsettling. So he really doesn't want to share those in the setting. Um, so I love that when Ron says something about like, oh, I see myself playing Quidditch. He's like, what do you think it means? He goes, uh, maybe that you'll be eaten by like a giant marshmallow. Yes. <laughs> I just died. <laughs> because I love how she talks about this and just the absolute ridiculous nature of their of their reasoning that they come up with. Um, and they get an assignment to do a monthly g- dream journal, which we learn as they're sort of recanting all of their homework assignments. Um but I, I which love is that a she lot drops, of homework assignments. Which is, does sound like a lot of homework assignments. I don't miss being in high school. Um, but she mentions that they have to do a month-long dream journal. And it actually will come up and become a pretty important part of this book, even though it seems like sort of an asinine um, assignment. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, it is going to be really fun, actually. I always, like like you, I always enjoy when they have divination because I, I think I enjoy the levity that they get from it most of the time. And that's yeah. kind of important in this book. So unfortunately we've arrived at defense against the dark arts with professor Umbridge, uh, who has, um, a very new, um, way of teaching classes, which will be that they will study the principles underlying the defensive magic. They're going to learn to recognize the situations in which that defensive magic could be legally used and then placing the use of defensive magic in the context for practical use, which means they're not going to do shirt in this class (laughs) or learn shirt in this class. (laughs) But I love that their response is like, what the fork? Like, <laughs> it's exactly why, that. Why is this like? And nobody is taking it. Like no one is accepting it. Everyone is challenging it, including Hermione oh. and Dean Thompson. And like, it's surprising the people who are speaking up because you expect Harry to be upset about this. You sort of expect Ron to be upset about this, right? But the sheer number and and of who she has speaking out, you know that this speaks to a greater issue just than like Harry being angry about things, right? Like they, they are genuinely concerned, 
especially was it Pavardi who was like, wait, so you're telling me the first time I get to use this spell is during my test. You're testing me on it, but the first time I get to actually cast it is during my assessment. Um, I love, I just love that everyone is not buying what she's selling. Like nobody is buying, is paying for it. Like, uh, uh-uh. uh, they are on her like white on rice. It's, cr- it's just, I, I love that we have characters we believe would do that and that they, she had them do that because uh, I would be fuming as well. Like you said, it's, it isn't just the usual suspects. It's everyone in class is like, what is going on here? Like, this everyone doesn't... has a good rational reason. Like, and everyone's not just like, wait, but I want to. They're like, they ask real questions that she doesn't have answers for. Well, and, and I, I mean, I absolutely, like you said, I love that Parvati is like, so you're saying that I don't get to practice this spell and the only time I get to try to do it is on a test that, like, as we mentioned earlier, will impact what my future will be like this is you're, you're telling me that a very important test is the first time i get to do the thing that you're judging me on and i think i think the thing that i i mean this this chapter brings home this idea of the way in which education i think in many places has been corrupted to be something that doesn't honestly prepare students for anything we pretend as though we're teaching them important things but we're really not teaching them anything and we're leaving them kind of you know in a canoe without a paddle you know like just floating along and they they will then have to follow the current which is exactly what this administration wants for these children in this class. They do not want children who can in any way rise up against them. They want docile creatures. Which is just so interesting. And when you think about what we know of Fudge and what we we know of how he has treated Harry specifically, um, it, it just shows the level of fear that they're at, that they're taking an entire school and jeopardize the learning of an entire and future of an entire student body because they're afraid of children. Of children. Like, we we all know, I'm not ruining anything by saying these children are, you know, they're, they're totally amazing and they are much stronger than they give, get given credit for. But, there's still children at this point and we have the reason why they become so strong is because we're afraid of them. It's just, it's so interesting. And I think, you know, that the way that she then frames it to them about how older and wiser wizards have figured out what the whole point of this class is and how dare you basically challenge the fact that these older and wiser, you know, uh, wizards uh, have have spent all the time creating this curriculum and and harry's like well what is that gonna do for us in real life like what happens if we're attacked you know and she's like oh what do you mean if you're attacked he's like oh i don't know like maybe lord voldemort and like it just starts this massive fight between her and harry that is so charged because and and this is 
this is the thing that I think that makes it so interesting. You know, and Harry is so righteously angry here because he did stand in that graveyard. He did watch Cedric die. He almost lost his own life. And there's nothing worse than being on the side of what is true and people in your face saying, oh, no, that's not true. That's impossible. You know, like, there is absolutely nothing worse than that. And Harry just, like, has had it at this point. Well, not just that, but there's just... There's something to be said about discounting your real life experiences and chalking Mm -hmm. them up to the fact that you're not wise enough or you're not, you know, experienced enough to, to say that what they are like someone telling you what you should think or feel is just so frustrating. And they're essentially telling him that like what he thought he saw wasn't real without any context or processing or anything. It's just, you're in, you're essentially telling him he's crazy, which you can't refute. It's just it's horrible, um, and and you are treating him like a child when he has re- legitimately experienced things that are so traumatic. Not even adults will go through them, so it's just they're not. They're they're doing everything they can, and it, it basically is torture at this point. And as you were referring to earlier, you know he he bursts he explodes he sort of just loses it and like yells at her um and the way she handles it makes it like even more infuriating like you just you hate her even more because her voice just gets girlier and calmer and like she does the that just reacts the opposite that he does which makes him look so much more aggressive and crazy um and, you know, she writes him this letter that he can't look at and has no idea what it says and sends him to McGonagall's office. The thing that I thought that she did, which just truly disgusts me, is when she says, you know, Cedric's death was an accident. Tragic a Tragic accident. accident. Yeah. And, and, and in this moment, you see exactly what the ministry is doing, which is that they are creating a false narrative that they will hold to for as long as possible. And it creates this just nasty, awful, disgusting thing. You know, I think... Well, and I think that their lie that they've created, they've made it so good and they've told it so many times that I feel like they genuinely believe it now. They're not lying anymore. That's just honestly what what they've convinced themselves happened like it's still a lie but it now has this this feeling of of legitimacy because they have told it so many times that i wonder to themselves if they can even understand that it's not real well i think that's the scary thing too like you can lie to yourself so many times that you begin to believe it and i think that's the the thing that is truly kind of scary here is this 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 fact that these people are, are so want to fool themselves that they truly believe their own propaganda and that that is really really scary this is what we're up against i have to say you know if you didn't love mcgonagall before this you gotta love mcgonagall i now. sure hope you love her now yeah <laughs> i love that 
I love that she has this moment where like he goes in and he's like, he's not really sure what to expect, but he's kind of terrified, even though he's just still angry. And he goes in and the first thing she basically does is take the letter and skim it and starts asking him if what's in the letter is real. And, you know, he agrees. And then at the end, she's like, have a biscuit, sit down. And he's like, what? Like, (laughs) it just throws him off. And he's like, wait, what? She's like, have a biscuit and sit down. (laughs) And like, she's calm. She's not clearly not happy, but like, she's not angry and you're like what is happening and he he describes it as to similar to the time that he was in her office when he got caught in the very first book flying when he wasn't supposed to be flying and then she offers him a spot on the quidditch team so he's like i don't know what to think is going to happen it's it's pretty great and i love too that she's like, you need to be careful, Potter. And he keeps kind of like ratcheting up her tension to the point where she finally yells at him. Like, do you really think that this is about truth and lies? This is about keeping your head down and your temper under control. And that um, she's like, did you not hear Dolores's speech? And he's like, yes. What do you think it meant? He's like, mumble, mumble, mumble. (laughs) Get a few things out, mumble. It's it's kind of like an Aquaman where he's like, I don't know, something, something, trident. You know, like, she's like, uh, (laughs) Harry's pretty much like, "Mm, something, something, ministry interference. And I love that. (laughs) She just knows. Yes. (laughs) I love that she knows. And she's like, well, at least you listen to Hermione. Was such a fantastic way to end the chapter that, you know, She's like, I'm so glad you get listen to Hermione. Now get out of my office. <laughs> well, I was like, at least you listen to Miss Granger. Now get out. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you're not going to listen to me. At least there's someone you listen to. Just heed my advice and get the hell out of my office. <laughs> well, and I, I just love I mean, because this is one of the the moments where you really see the way McGonagall cares for Harry. I think. I think this is one of those moments where you see the extra care that she's taking with him. Um, and I think she understands in many ways the, the hard time that he's going through. But she also has, I, I love her because she also has her own limits of patience. She's not quite as patient as Dumbledore. Um, and, you know, after so many years of dealing with kids, even more years now, if, if we're taking into account uh, what we know from Fantastic Beasts, um, <laughs> just listen and get out. <laughs> Like, it's great, which is very much like, you know, when your mom used to get mad at you and be like, okay, fine, just get out. I I do like, though, that it has a a motherly quality, you know, like he hasn't, we have Molly as a motherly character, but this is kind of a different motherly feeling, right? This is not a overly protective or overly sensitive kind of maternal instinct. This is more of a tough love maternal instinct that she looks out for him and cares for him, but isn't sort of overly emotional or invested in it. Um, and, and, you know, giving him guidance and, and hoping that he listens to the guidance and understands that this is bigger than himself. Um, and that she she's providing this sort of guidance that he gets. But yeah, I love that she sort of has her limits and snaps a little bit. And it's just like, I see, I would totally do that. I'd be like, are you listening? Get out. <laughs> like, 
it, it's it's great and that's you know one of the moments that you just you gotta love McGonagall but it's a it's a warning that there is more going on here than meets the eye um, and we're just hearing time and time again how different of a climate and an environment we're in now than even say a whole book ago um, this is definitely the tipping point for everything and and you know this is her if there was ever any doubt as to sort of her being involved in the order of the phoenix since ever since we sort of saw her come through the room and leave you know this is just more evidence that like they need to be careful on what they're doing um i i really i loved it though she is by far one of my favorite characters in everything yeah, I'm I'm really interested, you know, because, you know, next week we have uh, some detention with Dolores coming up. So that should be an interesting chapter for us to get to. But before we dive into that delightful chapter, uh, Drea, where can people find you if they want to catch up with you about all things Harry Potter, all things going on with all of these days and all things how much we love McGonagall? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at PCFChick or on Instagram at Drea Kaufman and it's C-O-F-F-M-A-N. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd and Tumblr all under the names under the name Mount Rushing Joe 2. I'm here in the network doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills. Uh, every week we talk about a new Star Wars topic that we've been thinking about. It's a lot of fun. I hope you check it out. In fact, we are hitting episode 150 as this episode drops of that show. Woo! So, yeah, yeah, not bad. Um, and then I'm over on the Trek FM network. I do a couple of shows there. One is called The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then I'm also doing the 602 Club with Chrissy Morris as we talk all about the fandoms we love that don't have anything to do with Star Trek because there are so many fandoms to love. So make sure you check that out. And then last but not least, you can find me doing a show called Cinema Stories. And I do that with my good friend Courtney as we talk about films through the lens of faith. But thank you so much for checking your outpost. Mischief Managed. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chum- Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.